Did you know? Teacher Appreciation Day is May 7th, but here at Bright Horizons, we celebrate during the entire month and invite you to join us. Visit our teacher and staff appreciation website to spread the love for your child's teacher or an exceptional staff member. Feel free to share any stories, comments, and thanks. Your thoughts make a difference. Check it out at appreciation.brighthorizons.com. This is Teach Play Love. The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast, just for ages 0 to 8. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood expert, Education Vice President Rachel Robertson. And make the most out of every chance to teach, play, and love. Bookstores, libraries, the selection of children's books can be overwhelming. Does it matter what you pick for your child? Actually, yes. Quality does matter. It develops critical thinking, expands knowledge, sparks imagination. So what kind of books are good books? Rachel and Ruth help us sift through the piles of children's literature and give us some guidance here for your young reader. All right, Ruth, today we're going to talk about books. And I'm very excited about this topic because I am an avid reader, and I know you are too. And not only am I an avid reader. I'm also a children's book author. So I just love this topic. I am so excited to hear your thoughts about how to choose the very best books, Rachel. And I feel like the books at my house are good ones. And it will be really interesting to see kind of how they measure up. And I'm really glad we're going to get your insight, both as an early educator and as a children's author. So where do you want to start? So let's start with that term high quality and what high quality means when it comes to books. What should we be looking for? Yeah, Ruth, that's a really good question. I mean, choosing books can be very subjective, but there are a few things that really stand out as important characteristics. To me, it's important to remember that reading books is an ideal way to expose children to language and and give them a lifelong positive association with reading. But there's more than that. And and so we have to keep those other things in mind when we're thinking about what high quality is. High quality literature teaches children about story and it helps sustain their attention. It also can help with developing critical thinking skills and social emotional skills like perspective and empathy, expands their knowledge of the world and the way things work. And a lot of really good children's books spark imagination. Not to mention the really wonderful bonding time you have when you're reading a book with a young child on your lap. So choosing books, really, it can be pretty subjective, and it's okay to have your favorites. Not everybody's going to like the same books, no matter what, whether they're adult books or children's books. But there are a few things that stand out as important characteristics of high-quality literature. Things like when the writing feels fresh, when it's not cliched, when there aren't characters like a princess who gets rescued. We already know that's going to happen. That's predictable. So that's a cliche. So high quality literature doesn't have a lot of that. You want it to be well written. You want it to follow pretty standard, proper grammar and English writing rules. Although if it's in a different language or there's a reason to not use those rules, that that's okay, but it needs to have a good solid reason for that. Of course, in children's books, like one of the greatest things is the illustrations. And we want those to be original and creative. They complement the story. And sometimes they're actually there to tell part of the story or, or tell like a little side story that's happening. 
really good way to have more of a dynamic conversation and more of an interactive experience. For children, you also want to make sure that the theme is meaningful to children. It makes sense at their level. Children are attracted to characters that are multidimensional, not predictable, like I talked about earlier. They are like a real character. They have likes and dislikes. They get to know them a little bit. We want to make sure that characters' diversity is authentic, that there aren't any stereotypes. We want to make sure there's accuracy in how children are learning about what's what's familiar to them and then what's different. And it's a great way to introduce children to things that are different. Another thing that children really look for in a character of a children's book, and this is one of my favorite things, is children look for characters that are children or representing children that solve their own problems, that don't need an adult to come in and take care of it for them. Children like to see having some some level of power or capability in a story. And high quality literature is also this great way to help children expand what they already know. So it uses character and illustrations and maybe some lovely language to help children take what they're familiar with and and take that to the next level. And then the last thing I'd say is great children's literature is just fun to read. It sometimes is poetic or has alliteration in it. There's possibly some humor in there. There's just it just gives you joy to read the story. It is so much fun to read to children and I, and I think that most families know that reading to your children is a good thing. Does reading to children do more than just develop their vocabulary? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that actually, because it does so much more than develop their vocabulary. First, it is a great way to develop vocabulary and expose them to all sorts of language. But it also gives them a whole bunch of other things like this lifelong positive association with reading. And who doesn't want that for their child? They're also learning about the cadence of story. They're building their attention spans. And through their paying attention to these really dynamic, multidimensional characters, they can develop some social emotional skills and think about perspective and empathy, maybe some critical thinking skills. As I just talked about, they're learning about the world, things that they know a little bit about, and they're expanding that, or maybe things that they had never thought of before. They're learning how things work, and some of the best children's books help spark and extend children's imagination. Last but definitely not least, there's almost nothing better than the bonding time you get when you're sitting down with a child and reading a love story. So with high-quality literature, you're going to get all of these things, so building vocabulary and so much more. Yeah, I bet those ideas about using critical thinking skills and using your social-emotional skills, those are those probably are going to be new ideas for families. That's a great way to be thinking now about choosing literature from that point of view or that perspective. Is it still okay to read crummy books? Books that are maybe not so high quality? I mean, reading anything is better than not reading at all. And when they're really little, it doesn't matter that much. They just need to hear the language and the interactive conversation. There's a lot of research that strongly suggests that there's these really significant vocabulary gaps between children that grow up in houses with a lot of books, children that are being read to frequently, And those children growing up in homes without many books, and they're not getting read to very often. And that trend, unfortunately, is pretty hard to reverse once kids get to school age. So we want reading to happen no matter what the book is, no matter what, how high quality the literature is, that is the most important part. 
But really, since high quality literature can do more than expose a child to language and build vocabulary, it's worth it to try to expose your child to as much of that as you can. Actually, one of my favorite things about high quality books is that they occasionally include juicy words. Juicy words. That's a great term. Tell us about juicy words, Rachel. Yeah, I love this term. Juicy words are these like kind of big, exciting words. They're interesting and different to a child. I mean, they can even happen for adults. They're descriptive. They're fun to say. They're words that a child probably doesn't already know, but they kind of learn them or pick up on them through the story. It's honestly a way that you can respect a young reader and entice them. For example, in the book I'm working on right now, we're using the word virtuoso. That's kind of fun to say. And it describes like a musical genius. It's not even a word a lot of adults use, but you'll learn it through the story. And it's fun to say. Hopefully it'll be fun for the adult to say and, and playful for the child to hear and maybe even repeat. So you think of like other juicy words would be like using the word gracious instead of polite or confection instead of candy. They can even be words from another language. So I can't tell you how many times I've just repeated virtuoso in my head while you were talking. That is a really juicy word. And I I think it's kind of natural to think about using really simple words in children's books, but it's just so much more interesting when there are juicy words. Some of the kids I read to regularly are Spanish and English bilingual. And sometimes we read books in English and sometimes in Spanish. Sometimes they're blended. And I found that reading books in both languages helps my vocabulary as much as it helps theirs. Absolutely. Books are a perfect way to expand vocabulary in multiple languages. Yeah, so true. Most children have favorite books though, Rachel. And some of those favorite books are based on characters that they know and love. So how do those books with maybe commercial type characters fit into the description of high quality? Well, I have recent experience with this. I just read a book about Elsa on a scavenger hunt to one of my good friend's three-year-olds. And she loved it. So character books are often based on cartoon characters or movies, television shows. And kids, you know, they're really drawn to them if they're drawn to that character. I think the thing to keep in mind is those books are usually not written as literary books. They're about the story. They're perpetuating a brand or a character. They're keeping people engaged in that specific character or that show or movie. So, of course... And I said this earlier, you know, any book or any reading is much better than no reading. When you have the opportunity to choose, choose high quality literature. It's a better option. But it's okay to let your child read those character books as well. If you're at the library, maybe you give your child like a choice. They get one character book and then they have to pick two from the pile of high quality literature that you select for them. And I also just want to mention too that not all characters are created equal. For example, like Sesame Street, they have a very different type of strategy cultivating their characters in books than do some of the cartoons or some of the princess movies. I would say to be thoughtful about that and know where the character is coming from where you make those choices. Honestly, a great use for those character books because children do relate to those characters so much is preparing for an event. For example, something like Elmo uses the potty or Grover goes to the doctor. Kids really trust those characters and then they can relate to them and and feel more prepared for a situation. Yeah, I've seen those kinds of character books used successfully in my own life. Speaking of characters, 
Just a little bit more, Rachel. Why are so many children's book characters animals? Oh, that's a really good question. There are actually some important reasons animals are main characters in children's books. So first of all, animals don't have jobs. They don't have to go to school. So it's kind of believable that they can just do whatever throughout the story. It's acceptable for them to be on these perpetual adventures in life because humans can't do that. It's not tied to the reality that children actually already are starting to understand. Children are also still just playing around with what reality is and what fantasy is. And they're willing to accept this story about animals that can do anything. They know physically they can't really do some of these things, but they can have a little fun with it and they can use their imagination. One of my favorite things about animals as characters is that they are most often gender neutral and they're free from stereotypes. So they have universal appeal and they don't perpetuate anything negative. I will say there are some arguments about this though, because children are still figuring out what's real and what isn't real. But for the most part, the choices around making a characters as animals in children's books are grounded in some really good reasons. Curious George or Winnie the Pooh are both animals and characters and are perfectly good books to read. Well, that's good to hear because Curious George books are on the top of our love to read list. Another question for you, Rachel. When we buy toys, there's an age range printed on the box. Not so much with books. So how do we determine what's age appropriate? I guess first I'd say if your child is interested in the book, it can be age appropriate. But if you're choosing a book and you want to have a few things to look for, taking that infant toddler age, all you're looking for is simple and playful language, rhyme, alliteration, repetition, books like Brown Bear, Brown Bear. They also love faces. Babies are drawn to faces. So they like looking at other babies as well. So finding books with real images of babies or faces and truly anything that encourages that lovely nurturing interaction that can happen when reading together like 10 little fingers and 10 little toes. Board books and cloth books are a good idea because you want to let babies touch, taste, feel, get a whole sensory experience from that reading. When they get a little bit older, like preschool age, they like to have fun. It's nice to have some predictability or, or rhythm to a book, but they also like a little surprise there as well. Great to have them interactive. Great to have both illustration and storytelling the tale together, but also possibly some separate things happening. So it's like two stories in one. Llama Llama Red Pajama is a good example of this. Or Pokey Little Puppy. I can't tell you how many times I read that book to my kids. The same thing happens over and over again, but then there's a little surprise each time. Or another one, if you give a mouse a cookie, most parents have read that book. There's a plot, but it's not too complex. So one of my favorite preschool books is called Something from Nothing. And it's a great Jewish folktale about how a handmade blanket is remade over time. And it does all of those things that you just talked about, that repetition and yet a little surprise and a little bit of plot within a plot, but it's not too complex. Great book that kids really enjoy. That's a perfect example. You know, and then if you have kids that are older, like kindergarten or first grade, they're starting to read, certainly. So you want to make it achievable so they can participate. Maybe there's some words in the book they can read. Maybe some of those juicy words. This is where actually high quality becomes even more important because you want them to learn vocabulary, sentence structure, good story construction, experience a good plot and resolution. Definitely the kid should be the hero of the story. 
you want them to have a, a positive experience and feel a sense of mastery. Maybe even choosing some simple series like the Elephant, Gerald, and Piggy series by Mo Willems. Yeah, I've found that if you can get a young reader involved in a series, they really get hooked. They want to find out what's what's going to happen next. So let's tackle another issue, Rachel, that we probably all face. Why is it that children like to hear the same story over and over again? I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have read Llama Llama Red Pajama to the same children over and over. Right. That's the experience I had too with so many books. So even though as adults, it can get a little old reading the same thing over and over, it's really a good thing for children. First of all, they enjoy the repetition. They begin to understand important story concepts such as character and plot, and they like that they know what's coming next. They look forward to it with some anticipation. They just get like comfortable and familiar with the story, and that feels good to them. There's a level of competency that helps make them want to have that book over and over again. And they truly are figuring out, will the same thing happen over and over again? So it's exciting for them. They can get something different out of it each time they read it. So if they really love the story and they're engaged by the characters, they want to learn more about them. They're trying to figure it out and get to know these characters. I hope that description that you just gave helps families to see the real value in in that repetition. It's really important for children. That's good. Maybe we, we all have a different perspective of that now. So one of the practices I've seen a lot of families adopting is reading charts. Is that a good idea? Well, we're wading into controversial waters here, but I will say this. If the reading chart is helping your child meet a goal that they're interested in and they're excited about, they are motivated themselves to do it because they want to read, they want to get better at reading, they want to be someone who reads a lot of books and they can take the lead, then it's something that's fine to do. But if it turns into something that they are required to do or they just end up doing it because they're trying to get a prize or reward, it has like a short-term gain, but a long-term loss. So like in the short term, a lot of times kids will do that. They'll read 20 books over the summer because they get some sort of prize at the end of it. But the long-term loss is they can start to not really like reading because it becomes only to get the prize and they're rushing through books. They're not taking their time to enjoy them or to even comprehend them very much. They just want to get that external prize. So we want to make sure we do not associate reading with bribing of any sort or anything that makes it feel like just getting through it is the goal. Yeah, I think I'm probably guilty of that one. One of my boys just did not like reading at all, but a, a summer library reading chart did seem to help him for a while, at least. Are there other systems that can get children into reading, other things we can do? Well, I mean, this is why I'm saying it's a little controversial because just charts in general tracking reading or behavior are controversial. There's these short-term gains and parents say they work, but long-term they can negatively impact motivation. But, you know, sometimes it's really the why behind them. So for your son, maybe he needed a jump start on his reading habit. He needed to get some confidence. So an external motivation in that situation was helpful, but you just don't want to leave it there and have that be the only reason you want to quickly as a, as a parent know that you need to transition them off of the external motivation and build that internal motivation to be the driving force for that long-term reading. Yeah. Yeah. Finding the right topic for him was the right thing to do. Finding something that he was really interested in 
and just continuing to provide books from the library about that topic. That seemed to really help. You know, one of the other ways that's available to read books now is, of course, on a tablet, ebooks are there and there are audiobooks. Is that the same thing as reading with your child? They can be a supplement to a child's library, but you should use them sparingly for early readers. Audiobooks, they just eliminate this opportunity for questions, predictions, back and forth throughout the story. That part of reading to young children is actually really important. Now I have a juicy word for you, Ruth. Oh, all right. Hit me with a juicy word. Dialogic reading. This is when an adult and child engage in a dialogue about what they're reading. And the children that experience this are substantially ahead in reading and comprehension in their spoken language, their ability to express themselves. It, this dialogic reading is actually really powerful. There are some specific methods of doing this, but essentially it's really just about prompting a child to think about the story, reflecting on what was said, expanding on new prompts with vocabulary. Truly, in, in most early reading situations, the goal should be about the experience, the conversation, not about finishing the book. I love that juicy word, dialogic, and everything it stands for. It's so exciting when you see their brains thinking, when you've asked a really thought-provoking question, and the discussions can be really interesting. That social interaction is truly a critical part of early reading. It lights up all the good parts of a brain. With that, let me go back to your original question, though, about ebooks. I get it. They're very convenient. I love the smell and feel of a fresh hardcover paperback book, but I use an e-reader all the time when I travel. So I understand that convenience factor. But for young readers, that technology, it minimizes or sometimes eliminates that social interaction that's happening that's so important. And it also sometimes adds a lot. So there's often like bells and whistles and all sorts of things happening that take a child out of the reading experience. And it's a different experience. It's an activity around a book rather than something that helps them read. And in that busy environment, language and reading sometimes is the last thing that's getting their attention. That's great to understand that it's okay to use them once in a while, but touching and feeling a book is really a good thing. And those conversations are really important. You mentioned earlier when we were talking, Rachel, some specific books based on ages, but I'd love to hear some more recommendations, and I'm sure families would as well. Well, you're in luck because we have at Bright Horizons a lot of great book lists. We have this wonderful program for early readers, actually for families and their children called Growing Readers. And we have a lot of the information and tons of book recommendations online, along with our parent resources and parent newsletters. Asking your child's teacher is always a great idea as well because they'll know exactly what books they have in the classroom and what their child is responding to. This has been such a great conversation. I'm sure that even my reading experiences with young children will be better and I'm sure families that are listening have learned a lot as well. I'm glad to hear it. I love books so much. So I'll just leave you with this last thing to remember. The most important goal in all of this is not about getting to the end of the book. It is really about helping children just love reading. And the methods we've talked about, choosing high quality literature, dialogic reading, the social interaction, they're really the most effective methods for building pre-reading and literacy skills. So as a parent, don't rush through it. 
Don't limit children's questions. Just savor each moment because it's building all sorts of wonderful skills when you share these moments together. If they want more and more and more of the same book over and over, it is a very good thing. And I get it, maybe you can't indulge them every time, but if it happens and your child is asking for it, just rest assured that you are doing something right. So now you know what are considered high quality books. And the great part is, good books can create a lifelong love of reading and show your child how the world works. You've already heard how reading develops language and social emotional skills. And at the end of the day, it's a great way to bond with your child. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us and find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love and rediscover parenting as the joy it was meant to be.